So this week we are continuing on in our conversation around redeeming religious language that may have lost meaning for us. So this may be terminology that you've used before or that you've heard used or that you continue to use right now. Um, And some of the meaning may have gotten a little bit lost in translation. Um, Things that used to feel meaningful might now feel a little empty or even harmful. And so we've been going through some words here that fall into that category. So some of this, um, even if you didn't grow up in a religious context, words like God's plan or blessed has worked its way into popular culture too. So you've definitely still been impacted by that. And our hope isn't just to sit around and critique a bunch of Christianese phrases, but to actually look at their intent and see if maybe offering something different in their place could have more meaning and hope for us now. So we last week pulled together this really big word cloud of a bunch of different examples of these words that people have um, written in to say like, hey, this is a word that for me has lost meaning. And so today I'm excited because Laura and Lester are joining me to kind of do a grab bag talking through of a bunch of different phrases. Um, so it's going to be really fun. I think it's going to be really fun. I don't know. Laura's face seems like... <laughs> I'm really scared, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, But for both of you, I'm wondering if we could just ease into the conversation a bit, if you could talk about some of your experience with Christian culture that these words come out of and what it's looked like to navigate that or even like coming out of that experience too. Uh, You want to go? No, you can go first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm Laura. Uh, I grew up in Louisiana. Um, We both grew up in Louisiana. I grew up in a smaller town, um, and I mean, like, as you probably could guess, like, Christian culture is really big there, um, and my particular, the one that I stepped into was, like, evangelical Christianity, non-denominational, um, and the the time that I went, I was like probably like uh, in junior high. And at that time, our town had this really cataclysmic sort of event that happened or that came uh, into view or like that kind of came out was, um, I don't know if y'all ever saw True Detective, but the first, yeah, the first season is based off of something that happened in my hometown. there was uh, a, um, a pastor and a sheriff and some other church members who uh, basically there was a lot of like, abuse happening in the church. Uh, it was like this satanic panic sort of thing that happened where um, a lot of really horrible things kind of came out of it. Um, And the response of the community was to not talk about it, but to fervently be like, the devil made me do it. Let's, you know, rally and let's become really like, like entrenched in Christian culture. Um, And so I went to the church where most of those members of that church came from. So they all flocked to this very specific church that kind of Mm -hmm. had a very like, it was just really, really intense. It was a really, really intense experience of like Christianity um, and this like response to making sure that the devil doesn't, you know, infiltrate you and like make you do bad things, like things like that. So um, 
so evangelical, but also just a little touch of, you know, um, traumatic things that happened that the church community responded to. So that was where I'm, that's where I came from. <laughs> um, so my Christian background is definitely different. Um, I grew up in a wealth and prosperity church, uh, so very money-centric. Um, I would argue very individualistic, very much about giving your money to the church and then God will bless you. Um, I left that church around 16, 17 um, and went into a very, I guess you could argue evangelical church, maybe not quite as intense, but a pretty evangelical church, which served me at the time um, to get away from kind of the wealth and prosperity gospels, but uh, by the time we went to college, it was no longer serving me. And as Laura mentioned, we both grew up in Louisiana, so I think a lot of that language is kind of entrenched in the culture regardless. Um, I didn't grow up with a lot of uh, fire and brimstone in the wealth and prosperity church, but some of that just kind of feeds into you regardless because mm -hmm. of the culture that's around. So, yeah, I think yeah. depending on your context, it kind of seeps into, like whether you're explicitly using that language or directly surrounded by people that are talking about it, it still seeps into other conversations and way of thinking, which we'll get into. Mm -hmm. um, I kept saying that I was going to have an actual bag to like pull the terms out of because I thought that that would be so fun. I didn't do that. So we can imagine <laughs> that my iPad is me <laughs> pulling out some terms here. But um, let's get into some of these. And these are all words that people suggested. And in the word cloud itself, if you go back and look at it, it's in our Discord channel and it's um, the picture on our social media for this week too. You can see that the bigger the phrase is, the more people wrote in about that particular term. So one of the biggest ones is love the sinner, hate the sin. So I'd like for us to start, you know, just starting pretty light. Um, <laughs> love the sinner, hate the sin. What comes to mind for you with what the intent with this one might be? What's behind it? I feel like, Do you <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I feel like for me personally, my experience that is like maybe 90% of the time has been used specifically towards the queer community mm -hmm. from my experience. And so I, I could absolutely make an argument that, you know, you wanna be able to be friends and caring and loving to people you disagree with, uh, but Certainly, I have mostly heard it towards the queer community, and it feels very separating. Um, this is something that you know people just are. It's it's not simply an act to disagree with, and it feels yeah somewhat isolating in that sense. Yeah, I think that when pieces of identity are just labeled sinful in general, right. it's not even action-based or behavioral-based. It just actually becomes who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, so I'm like one of six children, and most of my siblings still live in Louisiana. And uh, one of my brothers um, 
he's just like he'll send me like these videos of like you know like he's like oh this is so good and he like sends me like a a, a bible verse I don't know why because like every time like he sends it to me I'm like like I don't say anything but it's just like almost a passive aggressive thing um it feels like sometimes um but he'll send me like he sent me this video about like you know um like treating um being like being gay as like any other sin and and I had this long discussion with him around it and he was just like I have they like this is something that always happens is like they're always like like I got gay friends you know I love them like and they understand and like you know like they get they get it though like of course I'm not gonna believe you know I'm not gonna believe that it's okay and like we can still be friends like we can still you know and I think like there's just this like belittling and this sort of like um it feels almost like condescending to be like in a in a friendship with somebody and have this this limitation of like I don't agree with who you are as a person but like I still love you and like I still want to have a relationship with you like that's really hard and mm-hmm. I don't under I think that it's just it is so isolating like you were saying and um it's you know I think it's just really it's it can be really traumatizing for anybody to feel like you don't agree with things that really have meaning for me and that is really like it's already hard to live out this truth in general and I can't do that fully with you because you think that like I'm sinning yeah so yeah it becomes a very conditional type of loving someone Mm -hmm. yeah there's always like that yes but you know like yeah and so everything every all the love and all the like connection and all the you know always has this limitation to it yeah 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 for each of these um i'd love for us to decide and if you want to kind of track too as we're talking if this is a phrase that we could either keep so keep it toss it or change it are three (laughs) categories here this is the thing where like there's no the rules don't make sense the points don't matter but would we keep this toss it or change it or love the sin or hate the sin. Love the sin or hate the sin. Oh God, I don't know. I told Haley ahead of time. I was like, I'm going to tell you every time, toss it. But <laughs> like, that's just me. <laughs> yeah, uh, for I'm slower to just simply toss things, but this happens to be one that yeah, I I'd have to say toss it. Um, at least with my experience, it it really has just been one way. Um, I haven't really seen it (laughs) talked about for like any other quote unquote sin. So Mm -hmm. I would say toss it. Yeah, I would say toss it for this one too. I think it's probably the most weaponized out of all the ones that we've gotten. Um, Yeah, so that would be my take to toss it. But let's move to this one. Um, Lukewarm, being a lukewarm Christian. Do we have time to tell our story? Can we tell our uh, okay? So our quick church story. Mm-hmm. We both, yeah, we both uh, we met in college, uh, and we happened to go to the same service. It was like this, you know, Christian ministry like sort of like service that you can go to, 
And like we were there and we didn't know each other. We didn't know each other. We at were the time. experiencing this amazing thing that happened at the same time. <laughs> but yeah, like do you want to go into it? Okay. Sure. Our uh, the pastor at the time wanted to give a sermon on being a lukewarm Christian and how God will spew you from his mouth if you are a lukewarm Christian. Mm-hmm. And so they decided to do the gallon milk challenge uh, through the entire sermon. And so the entire time he's speaking, he had some of the young uh, boys come up and try to drink a gallon of milk. And so they're puking. Yeah. The puking in time. like gallon trash cans. Like, so like, you know, he's like, yeah, I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. And like, and he's How like, all, he's also... Huh? Like, how many people did this plan go through for them to be like, yes, <laughs> I don't know. challenge on stage? Right. This is the same guy who, like, like set off firecrackers inside, In like, the, the church. church. Like, yeah. it's just, it was, like, all, like, sensational, like, you know, stunts or whatever yeah. for God. Um, <laughs> and, like, and so, you know, he's also chugging this, like, he's like, yeah, I'm going to do it, too. And he's, like, chugging and, like you know, preaching and everyone's throwing up behind him. And, um, like, and he can't throw up. So like at one point he's just like, like literally like, like sitting back on the stairs and he's just like, ugh, like he couldn't puke. Like he was like trying to make himself puke, like in the middle of service because he was so uncomfortable. So anyway, yeah, that language has a lot of, uh, (laughs) That's what comes to mind with being lukewarm. Yeah, it was horrific. Um, My gosh. Yeah, for for us, that's what comes to mind. I I have to mention, Laura brought up the fireworks in the church. Yeah. During that service, he also... uh, let flares Jesus Christ. that were behind them and the lights were off and so the flares were just going it's it a was lot. wild Louisiana is freaking crazy guys like <laughs> it's crazy like anything to get you in the seat like they're gonna yeah. do um, but yeah like I feel like uh, the biggest I actually I was like I really want to talk about you know being lukewarm because I don't know if that's been an experience I don't know if anybody's like gone to church and had people be like don't be a lukewarm Christian like that was huge where I went to church uh, and I was like just going in at like junior high so my brain is still kind of like trying to form and just trying to figure out things and I feel like that term being lukewarm is like, I think it just infiltrates, it's like almost this like white supremacist sort of, like it's like this perfectionist tendency to be like all or nothing. Mm -hmm. And like that really affected me. Like it affected every part of my life. Even when I left that church, it was like, I can't be just, you know, I have to be like in or out, like anything that I do. Um, And so it just caused a lot of harm for me like caused a lot of harm for me um and like so many in so many ways of my life so i would add i would fervently say toss it (laughs) i don't know yeah i um i this is one i'm god it's kind of cringy for sure the like lukewarm christian you have to be on fire for god uh, this is one where, again, I feel like you can actually make a positive. I see some 
parallels towards kind of the idea that Martin Luther King and Malcolm X talked about of like liberals who, you know, aren't actually doing anything, mm-hmm. you know, they liberals who say that they care and they want things to change, but you know, don't protest that way, like you're yeah. a little too abrasive. I think whenever I think of God or Jesus more in the liberation sense or mm-hmm. caring for people, um, I can also see a way of saying maybe you shouldn't be lukewarm on that. I mean, our mm-hmm. culture is, I'd say, somewhat passive and lukewarm around uh, helping those in need. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know the best way to phrase it because I do think lukewarm Christian is tied to a lot of things that can be very cringy. And uh, <laughs> so I think there's maybe a better way to say it, but I'm not sure what that way is, if I'm going to yeah. be honest. But Yeah, I've been thinking about with this one um, that don't fall into apathy might mm. be a better way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think what you're saying here too is getting at the communal nature yeah. of it, like not being lukewarm as an individual or being on fire for God, that language too, as mm-hmm. an individual, it becomes very um, very much about like you, individual, personal. It's very yeah. egocentric. Personal yeah. relationship yeah. with this like, I don't know. It, it limits what it could actually look like. What you're talking about here is more of a communal yeah. experience. Absolutely. Um, and how apathy can actually keep us from moving forward, from caring for other people, from being active. Um, but it doesn't put the stress on having these like individual showy responses that are only focused on faithfulness. Yeah. Um, and like the language that it used to for, I guess, me was don't be a lukewarm Christian in the sense of you know, you have to witness to people, you have to go and save souls. Like it's a that lot was, of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. And that's the, that's the narrative in your brain. Um, it wasn't about helping people. Um, I, it wasn't really about even helping people. I would say it was about pushing an agenda um, and making someone see and in, in your point of view and bring them into the fold. Um, so I think that it was just, it was toxic language around a toxic purpose. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is much healthier. Yeah. <laughs> so. Agreed. <laughs> well, let's move to the next one. Um, this is God helps those who help themselves. Is that the catchphrase to like being below the Bible belt? Like, I don't even know, but. It kind of sounds like it. I, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, again, growing up uh, in the Wealth and Prosperity Church, I think it's very individualistic. And um, it makes me think about those who don't have anything. My, my experience from the Wealth and Prosperity Church is God's blessings coming in very um, economical forms. Uh, good job, a bunch of money coming in, that type of thing. And so it, it immediately for me makes me think of those who have less. And are we saying they haven't tried hard enough? You know, have they just not? Because God helps those who help themselves. And it also has me thinking about some of the families that I've met who may be more, who may be low income, but 
you can kind of feel the love radiating from them. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is also a blessing. Like, I yeah. absolutely, materialism matters in the sense that, like, we need to feed people and mm-hmm. care for people. Uh, but also, I, I've seen God's blessing in people who have less but just have so much love to share and, and still have a good, fulfilling life. So. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, I don't know. It's so, it does feel really individualistic to be like, you need to help yourself and then God will come in and help you. Um, I think being here in Chicago, you know, it's, it's changed me a lot. Um, doing mutual aid work, um, being in those spaces where you realize that like, if I have hard times, my community is going to come in and, and support me. Mm-hmm. I think that is a stronger message than, you know, um, you need to show that you're making an effort to get, you know, your resources. Um, I think it's a stronger message of saying, like, I know that, like, I know that if something happens, God and my community are going to come in and and walk beside me instead of you know it's just like more communal Mm -hmm. um that feels better to me yeah and they can i think it's similar to like pick yourself up by the bootstraps Mm -hmm. type of thing that we hear in more so um conservative political circles um it can just like that it can feel empowering if you're the one who finally made it Mm -hmm. or um, has money because you just like did it on your own, uh, yeah. but I don't think I don't think it's reality. I mm-hmm. think in most cases that whole I did it on my own. You didn't like very often. Certainly in my case, my family has helped out a lot, having friends there for you. And so, like Laura's talking about that community piece, I think is more empowering and helpful. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Um, because I do think the intent of this one is supposed to be some type of motivation. And, yeah. I mean, you named this too. It's it's a partnership with God. Like, that's still present in the term mm-hmm. itself. Um, but who is that partnership actually with if it's only people who are helping themselves? Like, that category in general is just going to be a lot more privileged, able-bodied people with yeah. access to resources. Mm-hmm. So instead, if we widen that to be more... I like what you said of like my community and God have my back in this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. White people are weird. Um, (laughs) they just are like, they're just so like, I don't know. We were watching this, um, anarchist documentary on HBO. Anyway, sorry. I'm going to go on a tangent, whatever. I'm up here. Um, I got the mic. Uh, no, but it, it's like uh, something happened to where they don't really, they don't believe in the government getting involved, so they don't call the police when like emergencies happen. Um, so someone got shot and someone was pulling, like putting out a post on Facebook, like, hey, this person just got shot. Like, I'm really scared. I'm alone, like in this house. 
and no one came. <laughs> like, it was like this, like, you know, they had these like conferences where there's like, yeah, like, you know, we're going to be abandoning together as a community. And then like, it all became about like, you know, you like, like, I'm not, no, like it's very like self, like, oh no, I need to protect myself. I'm not right. going to put myself in harm's way in order to like, so, you know, um, I think it's just really funny where, and then like, you know, there were those few people who really had that sense of community of just like, mm -hmm. no, there are like other ways to solve our problems where we don't have to depend on these like systems that are unfair and unjust. Um, but then like when it comes down to it, you know, like you need those people who are just going to be like, you're in harm, like you're in harm. Like I want to come, I want to be there with you. Right. Like that feels more of like the Christian spirit than, you know, someone being like, I go to church, you know, every Sunday, but I don't actually like, I don't have that kind of community with like people where like there's actual problems that people are having mm -hmm. it's not just like you know I don't know so it's just I, I just think about that and I and it feels like in some way like a very like it may be them wrong maybe this is totally off base but it does feel like a white person thing <laughs> to be really individualistic yeah but. I mean yeah it's very individualistic for sure and I I mean what other way does God show up but through community, mm -hmm. at least from my experience, the biggest blessings I've had are, are definitely driven by my community, mm -hmm. uh, be it family or friends. And so when it's just God helps those who help themselves, sometimes it can obscure, obscure that. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, changing this one to have it be something still keeping that like motivation because it you need to lean into community as well right. um, mm -hmm. and partnership with God, but that the partnership isn't just reserved for certain types of people. I think that's the key for changing this one for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but let's move on to the next one. This is, this is a big one. We actually, we did a separate talk on purity culture in general um, that you could go back and listen to. We archive all of these messages. Um, but a lot of people wrote about either guard your heart or headship or purity. Um, that purity was a really popular one. Um, mm -hmm. So I figured we could at least touch on it today. But there's a whole lot here. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Do you want to go first? I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> I uh, don't. Yeah. I think. For if we're starting with intention here, I think the intended purpose of things like guard your heart or um, remaining pure, whatever that may be, it's an intent for protection, but it doesn't actually protect people in the end. There's some, some sense of like, if you've got an all or nothing way of being around this, mm. you're not going mm -hmm. to be harmed. And so I think that the intent behind it is protect the person that you are with and protect yourself, but that rarely comes to be out of a place um, that's rooted in purity and not actually rooted in love. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up like, I, I don't know. It's weird. I think that with purity culture, it almost is this trauma response. Like, harm was done but like I think that I grew up in a in a house where there is like 
it wasn't safe. And so whenever I went to church and I started going to church like junior high through high school, like it felt better to not like it felt better to like live in that purity culture because like I I just like had a lot of issues around that. Um, and so, you know, but then there's that flip side, you know, mm-hmm. when you are <laughs> and then you grow up and you like become an adult, like, and then you're like, wow. like you know like it's like that um those like sexual experiences those romantic experiences help you grow as a person and if like you're kind of barred from that or that feels like there's this barrier around that there's like extreme emotions especially like tied with hormones like and then also just like if you do get in a situation like we were talking about, um, you know, like your first sexual experiences are clumsy and a lot of times you don't talk about consent, you don't talk about like all of those things. And and like if you think that it's supposed to go a certain way, um, but you don't have any knowledge or understanding and on top of that, you are told you shouldn't be doing it anyway. There's no way for you to get like proper communication around like making sure that you and your partner are safe emotionally stepping into that. And that happens a lot in college, right? Where like, you know, um, a lot of just like sexual assault cases come up because like there isn't that language and that communication because people are coming and stepping out of like these really strict kind of like parameters around that so I think there's a lot of harm that can be mm-hmm. done with purity culture mm-hmm. within that in that way yeah like Laura mentioned I can understand the protection part you know we don't we don't have kids yet but thinking about having kids I can understand where parents may be coming from in terms of you know supporting purity culture, I guess you could say, uh, for some protection. But also, like Laura's saying, you know, when you're young, teenager, early 20s, like, this stuff can be messy. And the black and white of purity culture, the, like, you just shouldn't do it, mm-hmm. is a extreme oversimplification. I, I mm-hmm. think, like Laura said, it can kind of stunt your ability to talk about these things. It's, it can be a hard topic, I think, for a lot of religious people who do grow up with purity culture, but it's something that has to be talked through in order to help keep people safe, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it's gonna be easier to keep people safe if, if you do talk through and figure out things like consent. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I'm also just thinking of the way that shame plays into all of this too. Mm -hmm. Um, And fear, that those are both really big pieces of, I think not intended pieces of purity culture, but that definitely come to be. And so if we're changing this one so that the focus isn't around purity, um, I think about the the scripture that says like perfect love casts out all fear. Mm -hmm. And so what does it look like to be Um, in a space where there is enough of a loving environment to set healthy boundaries um, and 
make sure that there's consent and things like that, like all these things we're talking about, so that the focus isn't on the purity itself, but on something loving that's not shameful and not fearful. Yeah. Let's move, um, we've got a couple more here. The next one is forgive and forget. <sighs> oh, okay. Uh, I guess it's me. Um, I mean, you sighed, so I think Yeah, that makes sense. There. I kind of led with that. Um, God, you know, I don't know if y'all got like Christian moms, um, but like, it's so funny. Like this woman knows how to hold a grudge, but then whenever like, okay, I'm going to get into it. Um, <laughs> but then like, you know, she'll be like, okay, well like for, you know, like whenever it comes to like family things like that, this is for me, like this is what comes up. Forgive and forget family things. Oh no, you have to like, you have to let that go. Like we have to like, you know, in order to like really move on and heal, like you have to forgive, like go ahead and forgive. It always felt like, like whenever something really harmful happened, right? Like something really harmful in your family, something like really harmful in the church, like it felt like the answer, the go-to was to forgive and forgive prematurely. Like a lot of times it felt like somebody was trying to force me to like forget something like or to just like move on and to not really have time to process what had happened. Um, and, you know, I had this discussion with my mom, uh, you know, a lot, I have this discussion with her a lot because like that is her, she's so afraid of like detachment, like, you know, like her kids just detaching because of things that had happened. And so her go-to is be like, for, like forgiveness, let's like not, let's not go to bed in anger. Like, let's go ahead and forgive. Like, let's go ahead and keep together. And, you know, I had this discussion with her about, like, it takes time. Like, you can't just, like, mm -hmm. force someone to be ready to just, like, let go of really big things, especially when you're not actually talking about those things and communicating. Um, and also, like, being like, are you going to prevent it from happening again? Mm -hmm. Like, is there any steps for, you know, the things that are happening that are maybe, like, cyclical? from happening again. Um, and so those are like really big conversations I've had with my family because like I kind of went on the like, my uh, defense was to be like, okay, like, okay, okay. Like I'll just forget, like I'll just like forgive and forget. And like, then it kept happening over and over and over again, but I had no outlet to actually talk through it mm -hmm. because of that language. So Yeah, I think the intent of saying it is healing things, but if you're never, if it just keeps happening or there's never any resolution or restoration taking place, like that's not healing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel like for, forgetting maybe the, the sticking point uh, for me. I think forgiveness is very big and valuable. Um, certainly if you believe in, in like restoration and, and the ability that for everyone to kind of be better people. I do think forgiveness is very important, but um, forget might be the sticking point because like you just said, I think, there, I think there needs to be some type of way to 
resolve it or, or deal mm -hmm. with the issue so it's not just happening over mm -hmm. and over and over again. There's definitely something about forgive and forget that can be um, dismissive to the mm -hmm. victim of mm -hmm. whatever it is that's happening. Yeah. yeah, two things that come to mind for me. Um, it's always dangerous when I number things before my thoughts have fully formed, because I'm like, are there actually two there? <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> two things. The first, um, in the kind of the therapy world, uh, I'd picked up the phrase of radical acceptance. Mm -hmm. um, that can be kind of synonymous with forgiveness. A lot of times, I think what this forgive and forget mentality is trying to do is that it becomes for the other person that did something wrong to mm -hmm. you. Um, but instead, forgiveness can be about our own spaces of healing, and it, it takes so much um, brain power, really, to hold on to bitterness and resentment and anger, and that's just exhausting. Mm -hmm. um, so what does it look like to not just forgive, but to radically accept what has happened? I think that that would replace... That was my second thing, is I think forgive and find healing might be a better way to change this so that the forgetfulness piece isn't there. Because I think when we say forget, it just assumes that there has to be a lot of invalidation of our own pain taking place. Yeah, I, it's really triggering for me, actually, like when someone tells me to forgive. Like, mm -hmm. I don't ever take it well. I don't know. <laughs> like, maybe it's like me, but I don't take it well because it does feel like it is... Um, a way to silence me in some way um, in order to kind of move on and not have to actually deal with things. So it was, it took a while. Um, and that does feel better to kind of just like, forgiveness is for me. It's not like, it's like something that I have to grapple with. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to do with that, deal with that externally, like yet, mm -hmm. probably with people. Like how to kind of be like, do I really forgive this person or am I like just afraid, you know, of mm -hmm. like being at, in conflict with this person, mm -hmm. so. I, I like the idea of uh, radical acceptance. Mm -hmm. um, to me that's almost, yeah, like you said, almost what forgiveness is, is getting at because I think Laura's right, it can be silencing sometimes when you're like, oh, you just have to forgive them. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. let it go, that happened a long time ago. I, I think radical acceptance, it, it is kind of about you being able to accept what happened to you and that you may not be able to change that other person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and hopefully that can help you move past it, you know? Yeah, it doesn't over-spiritualize what's yeah. taking place. Mm -hmm. But we'll go to our last one here um, as we close. So this is God told me. So starting something with God told me, blank. That always confused I mean, me. Did he? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was like, how? Like, I don't, Lord, I don't even know. I don't know. It's just weird. It's just like when people are like, God told me this. Like, you know, ever like in church, or I don't know if y'all ever went to like an evangelical church or whatever, but they were like, God told me this and da da da. da. And I'm just like, that is so confident of you to just like straight up be like, God said this to me. 
And like, also it's just kind of scary. Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, it just feels like any, like what is God saying to people? Like, I don't even know. So I think, I think the intent here, no, I think the intent here is to communicate like a really deep conviction about something Mm. and to almost have this like stamp of legitimacy behind you're feeling. Sorry. <laughs> but I, I think that that's the intent of this one. Yeah, I think that I think it's fair to say that that's the intent. I find it. Um, I don't know. I, I similarly, I'm not sure where to go with that because I think yeah. you're right. I think that is the intent is some type of legitimacy. But for me, it's a question: Is it actually legitimate? You know, a lot of people use. God said for a lot of horrible things. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of, you know, it will be proven out by the fruit of, you know, mm-hmm. the action. Uh, because there's absolutely positive things in the world that, like, people are like, God led me to do this. And I'm like, yes. And then there's also, like, God told me this is my land. And it's like, no. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, is this that, a is this a toss it, a keep it, a change it? I think it's really a context, hard. right? Like yeah. I think in context, I feel like if someone is on stage, if I'm on if I'm here, they're like, Y'all, God told me, don't listen to me. Like that's how I feel. Like I feel like if someone's saying in a in a conversation like God told me this, like this is what I'm pursuing. But I feel like in some way when you have a mic and you're on stage and you're talking to people about what God told you, they're not just saying what God told you, like that person, they're saying this is what God told you. Yeah, there's a This is what God is telling you to do. And that feels really dangerous to me, so. You have very big power dynamic because if, if God told me and I'm the pastor, then yeah, he's telling He's you telling what, you too. You to That's do. how it feels. Like I mean, maybe it's not, you know, may I, I think it's like on a uh, it's a passive way to uh get someone to submit under your belief system and your theory about how to, you know, do something. Yeah, um, I wouldn't want to say just toss it because I I certainly believe God can speak to people, but there's something yeah, about that power dynamic that is uh, questionable. Yeah. I yeah, I think for me, something that helps this one is either having the clarifier, I think. Um, anytime I was listening to a podcast the other day, actually, that was talking about how more frequently women use the word I think in sentences than men do. Yeah. Um, so I think that this is what we should do. I think that this fact that is actually factual and true, mm-hmm. but you have to qualify it. But with this one, I think even having a, because I, I do think that God can speak through people and communities and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, mm-hmm. But even having it be like, I think that God is bringing this to mind for me, um, mm-hmm. for you. Like that changes it instead of, God told me that you need to go do X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, or even asking, and we talked about consent, like even asking the person, like, hey, something came to mind when I was praying for you. Do you mind if I share that? Like right. that right. changes it instead of just this prescriptive, he, I am the this mouthpiece of do. God type right. of mentality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a fun little grab bag of things. 
Um, and we're actually going to come back to this during our time of communion as well so that you can talk with people around you about some of these phrases. Um, but I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll close here. Okay. Jesus, um, I thank you that you are a God that consistently modeled compassion and grace that you paid attention to things like the words that you were saying and who you were speaking to, that you empowered and that you provide a model for us of how to graciously enter into conversations with those we may disagree with, how to graciously look back on our own stories and how we've grown or changed, knowing that at the time we were doing the best with what we had and that we can continue to try and do the best with what we have in each stage of our lives. As we sort through what feels meaningful to bring forward with us and what may feel more meaningful to leave behind, God, I thank you that you are with us in that process. I thank you for the gift of community that was brought up this morning over and over, God, that we don't do any of this work alone, but that we have community to lean on and may we be the type of community that others can lean on as well. Amen.